Hi, and welcome to Long Live the Queen, where we talk about the women who made history. And by we, I mean the royal we, because it's just me. This week, we are recapping The Spanish Princess, episode one. This is a continuation of the other recaps. I recapped The White Queen and The White Princess, and now we're on The Spanish Princess. If you watch those series in order, it it goes through the history. So the Spanish princess opens with a lot of gold. A lot, lot, lot of gold. We see a map of the kingdom of Aragon, where the Spanish princess is coming from. And we see parrots, because she brought parrots with her from Spain to England. Then we see helmets and a lot of weapons, because she came from a very, very militant family. And finally, we see the Tudor Rose turning gold because Spain was very, very rich. Then we are at Alhambra Palace in the south of Spain. It was built in the 13th century and was the possession of the Muslims of Granada until January of the year 1492, when Granada was sacked by Queen Isabella and King Fernando. The Spanish princess was their youngest daughter, Infanta Catalina of Spain. Alhambra was beautiful. It was warm, it had drinkable water, and running water supplied daily baths. This is where Catherine grew up from the time she was six years old until she left for England just before she turned 16. Infanta Catalina is in the garden, she's praying. It's the summer of 1501, and she's about to leave for England to marry the heir to the throne of England. Her mother, Isabella, is at war. She was usually at war. Queen Isabella saw it as her duty to keep the Muslims out of Europe. And Spain was the fighting ground between the African Muslims and the Catholic Europeans. Isabella was the most Catholic queen in all the land and teacher's pet of the Pope. England, during this time, was relatively poor. They have had to fight a lot with the French and the Scottish, and they needed powerful alliances. And no alliance was more powerful than one with Spain. So Spain was sending their youngest daughter to England to marry Prince Arthur. She had been the Princess of Wales since she was a child. She had been married by proxy twice, but they had never met. Legally, they were married already, but all the official hoops had not been jumped through yet. We then see her intense. She's traveling across Spain to catch a boat to England. She is reading a love letter from her betrothed, Prince Arthur. We do know that they did write letters to each other in Latin to get to know each other, and we assume that's what this is referring to. Infanta Catalina is there with her lady's maid also named Catalina. In this version, they call her Lena because two Catalinas would be confusing. That was likely not her birth name, though. She was an Iberian Moor. The African Muslims that had lived in Granada until the Catholics had taken it over. Once the Catholics were in charge, the Muslims that were able to and wanted to relocated to Northern Africa to keep their religion. With the requirement being that they would have to convert to Catholicism if they wanted to live. 
Lena was likely one of these people. She was renamed Catalina after her mistress, the Infanta. She was made mistress of the bedchamber. Though she wasn't free to leave, she would have been treated well. Mistress of the bedchamber would be the closest ladies made to the princess. She would have helped her bathe, braid her hair, dress, and undress. Catalina's mother, Queen Isabella of Spain, then comes in, and Cat Greaser in Spanish. Castilian Spanish is the language that they would have spoken in their household. Queen Isabella tells her to speak English because she's going to England to marry the future king. This is likely inaccurate. She may have known a little English, but she would have been learning French, which at the time was what a lot of the nobility spoke in England. French and Latin would have been the languages she would have been focusing on. English was really only spoken in England and just not seen as that useful for a future queen. They're traveling across Spain in order to get to the northern coast and a boat that will take her the rest of the way to England. They are traveling by horseback and they run into a group of armed men. These men are some Muslims who are attempting to get Granada back from Isabel and Fernando. There's going to be a fight between the forces of the Muslim Allah and the forces of the Christian God. All of Isabella's battles were on religious grounds. Isabella was trying to conquer the world for Christianity. Isabella is about to go fight them, but gives her daughter a quick pep talk. She is going to England to cement an alliance with England and Spain. Don't forget. Isabella then puts on her helmet with a crown. This was common attire for reigning monarchs in battle. It allowed their soldiers to easily spot them on the battlefield. Unfortunately, it also allowed the enemy to easily recognize them on the battlefield. It doesn't seem like a great idea to mark your leaders so obviously, but that is what they did around that time. Queen Isabella then charges into battle, as she does. Catherine drops to the ground. Her ladies are alarmed, but she is praying. This is very in character for her. She was almost fanatically Catholic. She's praying. Daughter of Spain, Queen of England, wife to Prince Arthur. Her mother is mowing people down. She is quite the battler. She was on the fighting field always. She was fighting with her soldiers and not Super usual for a queen back then, but Isabella was a different kind of queen. Infanta Catalina keeps repeating, daughter of Spain, queen of England, wife of Prince Arthur. Daughter of Spain, queen of England, wife of Prince Arthur. Willing God to help her mother and save them and her future destiny. Isabella then returns victorious. Both her and her horse are covered in blood. Spain has won this battle. We then see Elizabeth of York praying. She goes to her husband, King Henry, and he says the Infanta is delayed. Her brother Juan had died a few years before, and her mother couldn't bear to be parted with her youngest daughter after the death of her only son. This left Isabella's oldest daughter, her heir, but she also died the next year, within an hour of giving birth to her only baby. That child then also died the following year at the age of one. This left Isabella's third child, a daughter named Juana, her heir. 
She was known as Juana La Loca, or Joanna the Mad. She had some mental health issues that, at the time, were probably seen more as demonic possessions. So things were hard in Spain, and Queen Isabella was having a hard time sending her youngest daughter away to be married. Catherine had then come down with a fever, something far more dangerous then than it is for us now, and then they ran into the Muslims and had to fight their way through. King Henry is worried that God is trying to stop this marriage, but Queen Elizabeth says the Infanta is being protected. Even with all of this, she is still safe and on her way to them. When the boat lands, Arthur is to go meet her. Literally, because they have never met. Arthur asks if his mother is going to join him, and she says no, his brother can't take the journey. His brother, whom they don't name, is presumably Prince Edmund, who had actually died the previous year, so I think they are smudging the dates a bit. Edmund died the year before the princess arrived. He died at the age of one of what was probably the plague. The other option was that they were talking about Prince Harry, a seemingly healthy 10-year-old, so that doesn't really track. She tells him that his Aunt Maggie and Richard Pohl will go with him. His Aunt Maggie was actually his mother's cousin, Margaret Pohl. We talked about her when I recapped the White Princess. She was Maggie. She was also this week's royal bio. And next week will be Infanta Catalina, or as she was called in England, Catherine of Aragon. Richard Pohl was Maggie's husband and a loyal tutor. This couple was in charge of Arthur's household. They were, in a way, raising the future king. But since we spoke about her last, she had a bit of falling out with her cousin, the queen, but we'll get into that later. King Henry is low. England is poor and struggling against their enemies, Scotland and France. He needs the Spanish princess to arrive with an alliance from Spain. Arthur's getting ready to head out, and his mother, Elizabeth of York, is asking him what his Aunt Maggie has been saying. She doesn't know if she can trust Maggie because of their aforementioned falling out. Arthur assures his mother that Maggie cares for him. She loves them both. Elizabeth says yes, but also make sure you tell me what she says, because I don't know if I trust her. Then we are back with the Spanish. They have made it to their ship, and they are heading to England. The trip is rough and everyone is seasick. We see parrots in cages and the princess and all of her ladies who are all very, very seasick. Princess Catherine, formerly Infanta Catalina, is afraid. She experienced the battlefield before, but this was a brand new danger. Her ladies made mentions that she has never been to sea before. Lena says that she has served the princess since she was a child. Lena was the daughter of Queen Isabella's advisor on Moorish issues, hinting that she was indeed from one of the old families of Granada. We see more throwing up. The seasickness is real, real for these ladies. Lena then goes to another part of the ship and sees a soldier praying. Only he isn't praying like a Catholic. He's praying like a Muslim. She is afraid. It was very illegal in Spain to be Muslim but he says they aren't in Spain anymore. And she tells him to get up. He shames the Catholic princess. She took being Catholic very, very seriously. Then she reminds him that she is a lady and he is just a soldier, reminding him of his place. 
And then we're back in England at Dogmersfield House. Maggie was there preparing the house for the arrival of the princess. Arthur arrives with Maggie's husband from a hunt and she greets them. She sees they shot a rabbit and Arthur says he couldn't shoot it. It was Richard that shot it. Arthur was always described as a more thoughtful, sensitive young man. He was more bookish than athletic. Maggie is happy they are back and she tells Arthur it's okay not to rush to take a life. Some hinting as to what her and the queen had a falling out about. He mentions that his mother holds her in high affection. He's trying to smooth over this divide that was created between these royal cousins, his mother and the woman who was effectively raising him. Maggie misses her children and her husband assures her that they will join them soon. He also says Arthur is in love and excited to meet his new wife. Maggie says she wishes Catherine was not coming. The queen wants the past in the past, but Maggie would be happy if Catherine's ship sank. Richard says that Margaret Beaufort, my lady the king's mother, was going to meet her, and maybe she will scare her off, because he's a funny guy. Then we see Margaret Beaufort, my lady the king's mother, a tiny but terrifying woman. She is setting up some kind of formal ceremony for when she greets Princess Catherine. She says that after they meet, they will journey to meet Prince Arthur, and Margaret will teach her the English ways on the trip. Kind of a crash course in England royalty. Back on the Spanish ship, we have Land Ho. They can see England. Catherine says, if we see land, let's land. They are so, so seasick. But this wasn't where they were supposed to land. But Catherine says... Tell the captain that she ordered it. She's a princess, the future queen of England, and in charge, and she knows it. We see them landing on an English beach. One of Catherine's lady's maids, Rosa, asks if it's always this cold. They had left sunny southern Spain in late summer, and they were arriving in England in November. No, it wasn't always that cold. But it was always much cooler than southern Spain. They were not used to this climate. Some English peasants come out to meet her. It wasn't every day that a Spanish princess landed on your beach. She asked where was the nearest church and the peasants tell her not far. They kind of point. She wants to go thank God for their safe arrival. They are unprepared for this unplanned journey by land and they will need horses. Princess Catherine's ladies are handing out alms. Alms were money designated for the wealthy to give to the poor. It was Royal Renaissance PR. You wanted the people to like you. England is rainy and muddy. The infamous Edward Stafford, Duke of Buckingham, is escorting them on their land journey. He isn't infamous yet, but stuff will go down and he will be executed by King Henry's son for treason in about two decades. Catherine asks if it always rains in England, and Buckingham says no. Sometimes it hails or snows. He's flirting with Rosa, the lady's maid, asking her name. She says it's Rosa de Vargas. Rosa is a fictional character, but she seems to be an accurate representation of what a Spanish lady's maid would be like. Princess Catherine says, hands off my ladies. They will marry men, men that she chooses, pious men. 
Buckingham says, good thing I'm already married. Lena tells Rosa to stop looking at him, and she says she's not looking at him. She's just looking at the English trees, but she was indeed looking at the handsome Buckingham. Then we're back at Queen Elizabeth, and she is praying and thinking about the execution of Perkin Warbeck. More hints about the falling out with her cousin. She is told by King Henry that Princess Catherine has landed early for some reason and in a strange spot, but she's here. She says, God smiles on us. King Henry is going to leave at first light to go meet her. Then we see two of the royal children, 12-year-old Margaret and 6-year-old Mary, the future queens of Scotland and France, respectively. Mary is upset, and Margaret says that their brother, Prince Harry, has been in a rage all day. This could have been true. Prince Harry was 10, and he enjoyed being the center of attention. His brother was away in king training, and he was the perfect little prince being raised with his sisters. He was the favorite of his grandmother, Margaret Beaufort, my lady, the king's mother. Sometimes he was a bit of a spoiled beast. He would grow up to be King Henry VIII, wife beheading extraordinaire. We then see Maggie, more preparing after the house for the arrival of the princess. The princess arrives and is introduced by the Spanish envoy. House of Tudor, may I present the illustrious Princess Catherine. In addition to Maggie and her husband Richard, Margaret Beaufort is also there, and she greets Catherine in Latin because she doesn't speak Castilian Spanish. Catherine says she speaks English. This would not have been the case. She didn't speak English upon her arrival. She had been writing letters with Arthur in Latin, and she knew some French. But upon her arrival, she realized that though their written Latin was compatible, their spoken Latin with their respective accents sounded very different. She would have been relying on a translator at this time to speak to anyone. She would eventually learn English. She knew many languages. Languages were her that she was good at languages. She says she's the Princess of Wales. But Margaret says, well, you're not married yet, so are you the Princess of Wales? Catherine says, well, touche, except I was married twice by proxy. So legally, I am the Princess of Wales. Richard Pohl introduces himself and his wife Maggie, who looks obviously uncomfortable with the princess's arrival. Princess Catherine says she needs a bath and a siesta. Margaret asks if siesta is a kind of food. They tell her no, it's an afternoon nap. Margaret Beaufort thinks afternoon naps are strange and unnecessary. That is where me and Margaret are going to have to agree to disagree. Afternoon naps are delightful. And in any case, there's no time. She has to go meet the king. She has to go meet the prince. There's a lot to do. She has to learn how to be English. Catherine says she can't meet the prince until they're married. Margaret Beaufort says, well, I thought you already were married. By proxy. Twice. Catherine counters, yeah, but not in front of God. And she's not going to meet anyone before she's had a bath to clean off the English mud and a siesta. That's fair. Who wants to meet their husband and father-in-law after a long, muddy journey? Let's not forget that she had also had a lot of seasickness. She just wanted a nap. <laughs> we see Catherine's parrots that she had brought with her from Spain. 
these would have looked strange to most of the people in England who had never seen a parrot before. England had ravens. Maggie then tells her husband she doesn't think she can take this, but her husband says she must. They have no choice in this marriage. We then see Catherine with her ladies, and she asks them, where is the light? England is cold, wet, and dark. Her lady says, she is the light. Catherine then has a compass. It seems to be an important possession of hers. She then rereads one of Arthur's love letters, reminding her why she's here in the first place. Catherine's ladies are explaining the potpourri that they brought from Spain for the princess's baths. She bathes every day. Margaret Beaufort is horrified. Every day? How about once a week, like the rest of us? Her lady informs my lady, the king's mother, that Catherine has just left Alhambra, a palace with warm, running water for daily baths. She was already giving up so much. She didn't also need to give up her daily bath. And I agree. I enjoy a daily bath. Then my lady, the king's mother, is saying that the Spanish soldiers will be staying in the stable. Lena is horrified. They are men, not animals. My lady says the stable was good enough for our lord. Lena asks, well, is it good enough for you, the king's mother? These men are a gift to the king, part of the princess's dowry, and they will be treated with respect. The same soldier that was praying on the boat thanks her for standing up for them. The king is now on his way to meet his daughter-in-law. He's in a hurry. He's been waiting for this for literal years. Princess Catherine is napping when the king arrives. She has had a long trip. He's pounding on the door, demanding that they open it. He is the king of England, but she had been napping and she is dressing as quickly as a newly awakened teenager can dress. He isn't used to being made to wait and he threatens to have the door removed. She's finally dressed and veiled and opens the door to greet the king. She chastises him and says, this is not the way a king behaves. He says he has been waiting for six months for this. One could say he'd been waiting longer. The marriage talks were almost a decade old at this point. The king asks her to remove her veil and she says, no, that's not proper. She's here to get married and to finalize a treaty. She points out that England needs Spain far more than Spain needs England. This was very, very true. England needed her far more. They needed Spain's money and their help and their armies. She then removes her veil so he can see that she is pretty. And he says, welcome. Now she needs to come meet his son. And hopefully she will show him her face also. She comes out of the castle, veil free, to meet Prince Arthur. She curtsies and he looks nervous. They're walking around outside, getting to know each other. This wouldn't have happened because they couldn't speak to each other when they met. Their accents got in the way of their Latin. But in this version, they are making it awkward for a totally different reason. It's raining and cold. She wants to go inside out of the rain. He says, this isn't rain. It's just a drizzle. She says again, yes, it's raining. He points out that they have a lot of precipitation and... All rain is not equal. As someone from the Pacific Northwest, I feel this. We have lots of kind of rain too, and some is easier to stroll in than others. She says it's water from the sky, and that's not her thing. 
welcome to England, princess. He says, they can't be alone. And if they go inside, everyone will hear their conversation. Again, they had to converse through translators at this point. So this conversation about privacy would not have happened. He then says he will try to be a good husband and listen to her concerns and needs. She says she needs to be warm. She then mentions that he seems different from his love letters. He looks surprised and asks if she wrote back to him. She says, yes, of course, but he doesn't know. So who was she writing to all this time? In reality, she was likely writing with him, but Philippa Gregory is here for the drama and I love her for it. Princess Catherine is concerned. She says she shared her heart in those letters and she doesn't know who was receiving them. But the letters came with the seal of the Tudor Rose on them. The king had mentioned the things that were done to bring her here. And she wonders with her ladies what he meant by that, what things were done. Then we see that Maggie's children are here. At this point, she would have been the mother of three young boys. Her daughter, Ursula, was not yet born. King Henry is then talking to his wife, Queen Elizabeth, and he says Princess Catherine is willful, but now that she's here, they are all safer. They had the protection in the person of the daughter of Queen Isabella and King Fernando and their very large army and vast wealth. Elizabeth asks if she's pretty, and he says, yes, she is. Margaret Beaufort thinks she's arrogant and overprivileged. She is a princess, so that's probably true. Elizabeth says she's sure Margaret would prefer humble and penitent. A throwback to when Margaret thought Elizabeth was arrogant and overprivileged. She was also born a princess. Margaret doesn't like her, but Elizabeth says it doesn't matter if they like her. She's She's here, and she's here to stay. Queen Elizabeth then meets with her cousin Maggie. They haven't seen each other in a while. Maggie says she's been busy with her husband running Arthur's household. Elizabeth is pregnant again and asks Maggie to join her in confinement. Maggie does not seem excited about that offer, and Elizabeth straight up asks if she's poisoning Arthur against his mother, the queen. Maggie says the Spanish princess will need a heart of stone to survive this family. While we don't know that she said this exactly, it likely would have been her sentiment. If you listen to Margaret Plantagenet Pohl's episode, you know that her life was a struggle from beginning to end, and the Tudor times were not easy times for her. Catherine is brought to the Tower of London, and she is confused as to why but she's told it's tradition for the royal bride to stay in the royal apartments in the tower the night before the wedding. At the tower, she meets Prince Harry. Now, remember, Prince Harry is 10 years old at this point. He was a confident, boisterous child. He liked to be the life of the party, but he was also just 10 years old. Rory O'Connor is the actor playing him. He's Irish and not at all 10. The actor is in his mid-20s. They aged up Prince Harry. He looks older than his older brother, Arthur. What they're doing is trying to make him charismatic and a romantic threat to his brother in a way that a 10-year-old wouldn't have been. Henry likely had a crush on his nearly 16-year-old sister-in-law, 
but she would have seen a 10-year-old little boy. He asked her if she likes England. He's there with his pal, Charles Brandon. So Charles Brandon would have been at this point friends with his older brother, Arthur, because Charles Brandon would have been about 17. And this actor does look age appropriate to play a 17-ish year old. Um, but he wouldn't have been good friends with Harry yet, who, again, doesn't look 10, but is very much 10 years old at this point. Fun fact, that little girl, Princess Mary, that we saw upset earlier, she grows up to be the teenage queen of France. And her husband died almost right away. He was much older. And Charles Brandon is sent to retrieve her from France. They run off and get illegally married. Henry tells Catherine that he will escort her to her wedding. This was true. Prince Harry did walk with her from the tower to the church on the day of her wedding. He asks her why she wears a veil. Is it to stop his brother from kissing her? And she doesn't answer. And he says, don't worry. Arthur is scared of girls. She corrects him, saying she isn't a girl because, after all, she's a princess. Harry, though he looks 26, is very much acting like the 10-year-old that he really was. And he asked to see the Spanish soldier's crossbow and asked him to load it. It is, and he accidentally shoots a tapestry. Gun safety wasn't his top priority. He then says he likes it, and he wants to learn how to use it properly. He then says quietly to Catherine that he will need better targets for practice, maybe seals from love letters. Then he adds, he's glad she wants to kiss his neck, indicating that he was the one writing the love letters to her. Again, he was 10 and this likely did not happen, but it does lend itself to explaining his over-the-top personality. He, he was confident for 10. We are then back with Arthur, still upset about these letters. Maggie says he will be a handsome groom. Arthur tells her Harry has been writing to Catherine. He says he tried to write to her, but Harry made fun of him, so he stopped. Apparently, that's when Harry started writing her. Arthur feels betrayed and violated. He adds that his brother has made love to his wife with his words. Again, he was 10, and this is just drama for the sake of entertainment. Maggie points out that Harry is just jealous of his older brother, and this was likely true. The princess's lady's maids then found her bath potpourri destroyed from being left in the rain. They need new herbs. The princess will want some for her wedding day bath. They go out in the cold darkness of London. Rosa sneaks off with Buckingham, who says he missed her. Wonder what his wife thought about that. Lena can't find Rosa, and she's now alone. The Spanish soldier from the boat intervenes and tells her she shouldn't be alone. He tells her where the pantry is and suggests maybe they have wine or ale there. She points out that he is Muslim and he wasn't supposed to drink. But he points out that the water in England isn't drinkable. So what choice does he have? We then see Rosa making out with Buckingham. He's married, but he's also quite attractive. And what's a girl supposed to do in a cold, rainy England? Princess Catherine then goes to meet her mother-in-law, Queen Elizabeth. Catherine says that King Henry was rude to her. Elizabeth says he wasn't rude, he's just desperate, and they paid a high price to get her there. Catherine says her mother Isabella says that steel runs through Queen Elizabeth's veins. Elizabeth is flattered. This is high praise coming from the militant Queen Isabella. 
Elizabeth says she is like a reed that bends in the wind but doesn't break. Catherine wants to know what was the high price that was paid for her. And Queen Elizabeth asks, had no one told her? Queen Isabella hadn't wanted to send her daughter to marry a prince with rivals for the throne. One of these rivals was Perkin Warbeck, who was claiming to be the lost brother of Queen Elizabeth. The other was Edward Plantagenet, Maggie's brother. Both of these men had been executed. While we don't know that it is true that Isabella demanded this, it was word on the street, and they were indeed executed before Catherine's arrival. Catherine says her mother would not have ordered that, but also she may have. Queen Elizabeth says they were executed at the same tower she was staying in tonight. A bit unnecessary, in my opinion, but Elizabeth thinks she needs to know the weight that's being put on her. She was to be a major part in the Triple Alliance that was Spain, England, and the Holy Roman Empire against Scotland and France. Oh, and by the way, have boys, not girls. If you know much about Catherine of Aragon, you may recognize the foreshadowing. She has exactly one living daughter, the first Queen Regnant of England, Queen Mary I. Catherine says she knows her duty, but she will not share in the guilt. She's killed exactly no one. Elizabeth then kind of threatens her and then kisses her, kind of a don't mess with me and don't mess with my family kind of vibe. Lena has found Rosemary for the princess's bath, and Buckingham has given Rosa a gift. Lena says, nope, he's married and you're a Spanish lady, but Rosa is in love. Catherine is bathing before her wedding, and she doesn't want to get out of her bath. Lena gives her a pep talk and mentions that she overheard her talking to Senor Colombo before they left. Senor Colombo would be Christopher Columbus. He was the one who gave her the compass, and she would have known him. He worked for her parents. He had told her to remember where she came from. She is ready to get married, and Lena helps her out of her bath. Daily bathing wasn't going to be as comfortable in cold England as it used to be in southern Spain. She was wearing an ivory dress. White wedding dresses weren't in fashion quite yet, but in this case, both the bride and the groom were dressed in ivory. There were Tudor rose banners hung everywhere. This was a big deal Tudor wedding. It was a big deal for the entire city. She arrives at the church, and Henry takes off her shoes for the upcoming ceremony. Catherine asks him why he wrote to her, and he says, at first, it was to hurt his brother. But then he enjoyed them. They excited him. They are really trying to lean into this, he's not 10 years old thing. But he was. Then he walks her up the aisle, and she's repeating, daughter of Spain, wife of Prince Arthur, daughter of Spain, wife of Prince Arthur. She imagines herself back in Spain, remembering where she came from, and that soon she will be Queen of England. And scene. And that is where I will leave it for now. That was the first episode of The Spanish Princess. If it sounded good, check it out. They changed some pretty major facts, but it does give an overall look at what it may have been like for Catherine of Aragon to arrive in England and then navigate over the next seven years or so. A rough seven years. 
She marries Prince Arthur. He dies almost immediately. She then sits in political purgatory while they figure out what to do with her. And then, spoiler alert, she marries the then 17-year-old brother of her former husband, Prince Harry, who by then was King Henry VIII. Together, they had one daughter who will grow up to be Queen Mary I. You can share your thoughts with me at longlivethequeenpodcast at gmail.com or on Facebook or Instagram at longlivethequeenpodcast. Long live to all the queens out there. And until next time, bye. My lady, the king's mother, must have been a terrifying, tiny woman. Terrifying.